Welcome to the More Life Podcast, where creative problem solvers and entrepreneurs talk about squeezing more out and finding meaning in this crazy thing we call life. Let's dive in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the More Life Podcast. This week, I'm here with Alyssa Sikalski. Sikalski, I said it right. I said it We've done this intro like three or four times. <laughs> We're going to keep going, Alyssa. I'm sorry. It is Alyssa Sikalski <laughs> from Any Key Press. <laughs> Apparently, my my vocabulary cannot pronounce your name. Um, I'm un- impossible for me to do so. <laughs> Please say hello to everybody uh, on the podcast. Hi, everybody on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for having me, Bart. Yeah, it's so, been Alyssa, so long. It's been ages. Yeah, it's literally been a long, long time. And, um, you know, it's been, we, we used to work together. That's how we kind of met. And we were working at a, the corporate office at Staples, Canada, um, doing a very weird job. But we'll start there in a, li- in a few minutes. But I want, to, I want people to kind of understand what you do for a living because not many people do what you do and I want to make sure that you have a chance to kind of say it fair enough um in a nutshell uh I am a hoarder of very heavy things and I make them print pretty things um no so uh I work I have my own print shop I've apparently been running this for eight years now um started off in digital print and have expanded to collecting numerous antique presses uh fixing them and um printing everything from like wedding stationery to more historical things and kind of now expanding more and more into equipment rescue because letterpress and the very like analog hands-on type of printing is a very much a dying art. It's been really great to see that there's been a revival of it. And I've kind of become the person to um, to try to rescue as much of it as possible and to kind of be a resource for people in Toronto, for people in Ontario. Um, and basically put my foot down and say, you know, these, these things are still doable and we can keep print in... Ontario um, and uh, give local businesses work. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a very long winded explanation of what I do because I've kind of been expanding into a yeah. lot of weird little avenues lately. I think people, um, when they think a print shop or a printing house, they believe like digital or commercial printing. Um, the stuff that you do if I were to describe to like a 20 year old today, somebody who may not have seen some of these things before legit, um, is going to be like, you know, this is how we used to do mass printing a hundred years ago or a hundred plus years ago. So I forget when the printing press was first, like in 1440. I don't know why that number came to my head or did I just make that up? Well, so the Gutenberg Press um, has been around for quite some time. Um, yeah. So that's 1440s, you are correct. Um, oh. 
Did I just Google that? I may have. Uh, and I actually have a product with that date on it. Um, I'm really good at my job. Um, yeah, so um, the type of printing that I do, and you can actually see like over my shoulder is my oldest. His name is Hank. He's 100. He turned 100 back in uh, November. Um, and yeah, basically it's kind of preserving this art. Um, it's become the art of printing, but it used to be just, this is how books got done. This is how flyers got done. This is how you advertised your business. Um, you know, if you were to look up any photos from 100, 150 years ago, you have these massive warehouses with, you know, like 200 of these guys lined up and everybody doing printing by hand um you know eventually you would get bigger and bigger presses some of them got to be the size of a building and those are very pretty and very rare these days <laughs> and, and, and people don't know um or they may not realize it the printing press is for is the olden day version of the internet so back you know people would have to write things by hand and then share those things right make physical copies that's how information and idea and thought could be shared at a large scale wasn't until we had a printing press where all of a sudden now everybody can read um, um, poetry or novels. So think about where nobody could hear your story unless somebody told you the story or you went to a theater to watch a play and all of a sudden you write a manuscript, you write a story and then maybe a hundred people could have it. So the rich and the wealthy and people and the more became popular, the more de democratized the information. We're going through that same revolution right now with the internet um, and how information is kind of like dispersed. So it's kind of a, a beautiful thing you're talking on a digital platform talking to me about an ancient <laughs> technology and it may seem crazy to call it that but it is it, at the time that was technology it was machine doing work to advance culture science history to advance all these things it was super super powerful like i love the idea of that it was for its time it was so advanced that when the when the printing press was first introduced um, people thought it was witchcraft and tried to actually like persecute Gutenberg for being a sorcerer for creating this and that you know um, the, with the, the one of the earliest and, and kind of most well-known things is the Gutenberg Bible and it's actually the Bible printed on a printing press um, to distribute and it's a beautiful beautiful piece of work and there's only maybe 10 in existence to this day wow. and at the time that that was blasphemous to recreate the bible in this commercial widely distributed mass distribution manner um, and then you go to say industrial revolution you go like late 1800s and you can't get away from print um, you know everything is you know you had your if you went to visit your friend and they weren't home or maybe they didn't feel like seeing you, you would leave your calling card at the front door and you would do this every time to every single place you went. Um, you know, you get your flyers, you get your newspapers, you know, the newspaper industry was a massive, massive thing. And that's the whole other story for me um, because that's kind of how I got into it, just being fascinated by newspaper print history because that's what cool kids do is they 
follow the the history of the newspaper printing business. What's really cool is that everybody says print is dead, print is a dying art, um, you know, especially letterpress work. And it was for a while. Um, there was a huge shift in like the 80s and the 90s when everybody shifted from um, the, the analog to digital. And people couldn't give these presses away. Like they were, you know, dumping them in every scrapyard that that they could get, you know, that they could find. Um, I know of a letterpress printer in down in the States who casually mentioned to an uncle that he was kind of interested in graphic design. And the next morning he had a press on his front lawn and he's like, well, I, I guess this is what I'm doing with my life now. And so there was a period of time and there's actually like, it skips a generation. Um, so it's now um, either a whole bunch of retirement age uh uh, master pressmen um, who mm. started, you know, when they were kids sweeping floors in a print shop and worked their way up. And they're amazing. Their their technical knowledge is, you know, beyond encyclopedic. Um, and then there's, you know, all of us in like our like late 20s, mid 30s and, and on who just had this kind of fascination with old things and there mm-hmm. there is a whole bunch of people that maybe like their grandfather or their father was in print and so they had access to this equipment but more often than not yep. it's just a bunch of us crazy people who are like you know what's a great idea is to get something that weighs two tons and figure it out how to use it because there's no i was really lucky um i uh the place actually i worked um at before I met you, uh, was a boutique print shop. And so their whole thing was digital work, but they had a fleet of this equipment in the back um, to do finishing. So whenever you go and you handle any sort of printed product, if it's got numbering on it, if it's got perforations, if it's got um, custom, like rounded corners, if it's got custom shapes, that's still, it is done on newer equipment, but primarily it's done by um, by these machines that are all like hand operated majority of them mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the time you get something that the only way to do it is by hand um, so there's still quite a bit of an industry except there's just not a lot of people or equipment to keep doing it um, and so in Canada it's, it's there's it's been quite a revival there's a huge scene now in toronto um there's a big scene in nova scotia in halifax um i know people moving from the toronto area from the gta from hamilton out there right now um or more Mm. more recently like pei we make the joke that um one i actually sold a press to somebody that moved to pei and once it moved there the the island sank a little bit because these things are so big um and he moved three of them um so it's it's really fascinating that like it's it's very much a community we kind of all know each other and we know each other more um in some cases by the presses than by our own names wow um so like i had i had a particular press that just like was very unique and we were able to trace it through like about seven different owners um over the last few decades um because everybody knew that oh oh this thing that is capable of doing like this very specific task um was recognized by a lot of people so um it's it's interesting to see um the shift from digital to analog in this way because people and i find like more in the last like five years or so there's been this big push for things that are handmade for things that are Mm -hmm. artisanal and bespoke and it sounds crazy hipster to say that um but there is an appreciation for this craft that we 
haven't seen in our lives. I think that we didn't. It's kind of like the same with. reason why, like, young people are into Polaroids now mm-hmm. and vinyl and doing film printing and all that type of stuff. Yeah, right? it's the there's same photographers revolution. switching yeah. exclusively to film for that reason because they they like the look of it and the feel of it. And so, um, you know, that's part of that. Um, I was, um, I like, I've been a designer for a very long time. And I've always found, and and this is something that like I noticed when you and I were working together, and prior to that, because I was doing production, like that's how I started. It was a college mm-hmm. job on in the summer, and then it kind of just kept going from there. Is a lot of people do beautiful design, but they don't always design it with the end product in mind. <laughs> yeah. Or they, who's going to make this? <laughs> or it's with the end product, but not with the end materials, right? So. A big thing is like, okay, what paper is it going on? Is it even sized for out or for, for the paper that you that you want your customer to use? Or, you know, are the colors the right thing? Are the colors calibrated for the equipment that it's going to go on? So right. when I was doing, because uh, I started with production, so we were doing this like overnight shift and we would be doing, uh, you know, everything from flyers to yearbooks to business cards and, you know, everything in between. And, and so much of it was... Um, realizing how much adjustment still needs to happen after a designer submits it for production. And so by the time that I was working in the boutique shop, our job was literally like we would get the job, the, the, the art would come in, we would sit down with the art director, and then it was our task to go from point receiving it to point shipping it out, everything in between. So we would be printing, cutting, assembly, you know, we'd come in at, you know, five in the morning to do the actual assembly of the magazines, for example. Um, And I love that. Um, Being able to see the physical product, even if it's not your own brand, um, that it's somebody else's Because you made it. You still made it. But you made it and you see um, the final outcome. You see where, you know, maybe where you could improve next time or you see like you had a crazy idea of, um, you know, using gold foil on something that, you know, your customer never even considered. And then it comes out, you see it in your hands and it's this beautiful final piece that speaks so much to the craftsmanship of it, but also elevates the final design that much more. So um, I, I love working with other designers and actually coming up with these solutions of like, okay, you have a great concept. Here's the equipment that we have mm-hmm. that can do so much more and that can get you something so much cooler. Right. Um, and so now we're kind of in a, in a, in this revival of, of letterpress where it's a comp- partially it's, you know, rescuing these things from the scrapyard because that's the, the honest truth of it, but also trying to adapt new technologies. So um, something that we're working on is actually 3d printing um, printing mm-hmm. plates. Uh, Cause a lot of it was, you know, you, we started with, cast lead um and carved wood and it went into uh <laughs> steel and i have so much lead in my life um and uh and now it's magnesium and uh photopolymers which is a, like a photo exposure plastic to yeah. um you know and and a lot of that stuff just isn't sustainable right it's not healthy to use yeah. these chemicals to to produce the these items where you know have it playing with 
hot molten lead most of the day um, right. as fun as this sounds probably not long-term healthy um and so now we're kind of working i, I know uh, a few people that are working with 3d printers and uh there's like specialty polymers that have been developed for letterpress work that can take interesting um, that can take this so so yeah it's it's been really interesting um the fact that you know it's it's this past year with covid and all of us being at home has been such a boom for this kind of work yeah. it's like um, feast or famine it, it has um not just for the actual work like and i've seen some incredible letterpress printers coming out of the woodwork and you know beautiful beautiful pieces because people now have time to maybe work on a piece of equipment that's been sitting in their garage for however long um but also it's definitely connected a lot of us um the mm. like the facebook groups and the instagram accounts and twitter is has been so much more active um, I find lately where these old pressmen are are getting a platform and training us because like I was lucky to be able to reach out to a gentleman in town and who's kind of like walked me through it and has has been teaching me for the last 10 years of how to use the equipment mm -hmm. and, and you know kind of to troubleshoot it and then I'll come to him and come up with my own ideas and, and run it That's by them. That's super, and, it's so helpful. But, and, and I'm, I realized just how lucky I am to have that resource. A lot of people don't. And so, you know, now we're, um, there's a great, great website called Briar Press. Um, and that was kind of always the community forum, but it's not always, you know, people don't even really know about it sometimes or, you know, yeah. it's a little bit slow to respond. Um, there's a few phenomenal uh, letterpress printers that basically like I've called up and said, I have no idea what I'm doing with this particular thing. Walk me through it. And now we're really good friends. Um and uh and no now we've, we've we've had a couple it started off as this like big facebook feud between the youngins and the old um where yeah. one gentleman would kind of shake his fist at everybody and be like what are you what are you kids doing you know you're ruining <laughs> print for the rest of us and uh he got so angry that he started posting lessons instead um and so we'll get oh. our like our on the weekends he'll post maybe two or three like big things of like let me walk you through paper and why we have the sizes that we do and why we have the materials and let's talk about pantone and that's and like a, that's so helpful and uh, and it's just somebody you know you you get kind of in somebody's good graces or upset them enough i suppose um that that's how we learn and so a lot of it you know is taught um and learned um just by practice um there yeah. were some amazing programs before like ryerson um i believe they've reintroduced a print production program um but um there were there were these like amazing amazing resources that have disappeared over the years um that we don't have anymore so the only way to have this art survive is by literally figuring it out on the fly and hoping to find somebody that knows a little bit more than you do that's crazy Alyssa. i want to talk to you sure. about i guess the business of it all too right because you still have to like eat and like have a shelter and you have kids and all these other things right so it's like um i, I don't know if you even know this before i started working at staple i worked in a printing house um in toronto and downtown mm -hmm. and uh, uh i was i was the plate boy so i was making press plates nice um getting all the stuff ready and making a few mistakes along the way and i was also helping with like pre pre-press and all this type of stuff and all the type of pre-flighting some documents um and the whole industry was just even back then people were kind of very scared of 
print fading away. This is back in 2000, probably 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like you mentioned, there's so much revival of it, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if people like, like your, like, uh, the way you said there's some people in your lives who have kind of mentored and shown and been able to like, share a lot. If people, I think could find out the, intricacies or the workings of the business side i think some people might be interested in like Mm -hmm. huh maybe i'm an artist maybe i'm somebody who has that skill but i'm also very passionate and want to understand about like how do i make this actual like be in real life like how do i once I've designed it, maybe, how do I get it on paper? Yeah. So talk a little bit about how um, any key press kind of started. How did that all start? Um, so it started, um, the first job I ever did uh, was me figuring out my printing press. And that was my own wedding invitations. Because that's a brilliant way to go about this is let's print, you know, a very, very large print order that, that is incredibly complex and has so many parts um, that uh, on a piece of equipment that I've never before seen in my life until we inked it up and started running it. Um, and I find, I hear the, the story so many times. Like I've, I know so many letterpress printers that got into the business because it was either their kid's wedding or if it was their own or they saw it or they saw like a little press at an antique shop and they thought it was cool. Um, there are amazing printers uh, that have way more business savvy than I do. Um, they are significantly more creative. Um, it is very much a community. So, um, as I mentioned, like it's the, the business side of things has been really cool to see people collaborating and people getting together and people teaching each other. And, um, you know, there might be the, the complication arises from what equipment is available. So what's the things that I have, somebody else might not. And so we do work together on that or if like if um if somebody wants to create something really specific then you kind of follow who can make that for you and then maybe down the road that's so cool so thank you then like down the road i'll have somebody like i'll have work for somebody that i know is able to do something else um you know the business side of things I've kind of, I started with cards um, and I realized I'm not nearly witty enough to do greeting cards. Um, There are (laughs) amazing, incredibly hilarious printers out there and that's all they do is they do cards and get picked up by major retailers and they're still doing this by hand one at a time, one color at a time. Um, And uh, a lot of it is just luck uh force of will and knowing your equipment and knowing your capabilities and and taking a big risks um that's a big one um is uh you know coming up with something really creative and so i find that right now um the industry is like just at that right amount that there's so many people doing this uh, but it's not oversaturated like you would have with your regular copy shop that's you know the, the, the corner shop that you go in and get your photocopies at um so it's finding your niche um whether it's greeting cards whether it's invitations um we're not going to be seeing big weddings i think for a little while not at for least a in while, ontario no. Uh, the states are, you know, wide open for business, but um, in yeah. Ontario, I think it's going to be a little bit different. Um, and so, uh, for me, what I ended up doing is actually um, reviving 
old illustrations. So I have, I, I came across a collection of um, prints of Toronto from the 30s, and that kind of became my first big run of, of pieces. Mm. Um, just postcards and, and, and coasters and like little things like that. Um, but it's artwork that hasn't been seen since the thirties. Um, and it's been sitting. Are you posting this on your site to sell? Is that how Um, you're doing it? Yeah. So I do have a few of them on my site. I have some stuff on Instagram. And so basically with, when I saw success from that, that like there was some feedback and, and interest, I've kind of gone further down the rabbit hole of doing old reproductions and, um, you know, to f- rescuing big printing plates, like old printing blocks and, and just kind of working with that. And, um, and that's when I started getting customers kind of coming to me for the specific knowledge of, okay, can we do something that's, um, you know, made on this equipment, made locally, has a historical component to it because I will research the bejesus out of anything. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if you know that about me, um <laughs> rabbit holes are where it's at um yes. but um but so that's that's kind of my little niche is um how historically accurate can we get because it, it is that kind of how um uh you got led into you had a cool opportunity to make a really cool product for queen's university in in canada um uh is that part of that ties in so beautifully because there's so much history and dialogue about the history of queen's university and you got you were able to produce uh, a very special piece for them talk about that a little bit because i think it's so cool Thank you. No, that was that was an incredible opportunity. And I'm fully honest about actually, I mean, the origins of even what I do is because I had an incredible boss at the time who, you know, kind of encouraged me when I was at university um, doing um, design and communications work for um, for a university group. Um, and I'm, I, I, I say this jokingly and he doesn't believe me, but I like Part of, part of the reason I'm still doing what I do is because at one point, this person believed me enough and said, like, you know, your art's kind of pretty. Let's put it on a poster. Um, and so... Oh, that's, that's amazing. And so, in October of last year, I was about ready to close up shop. Like, I'm fully transparent about that um i hadn't seen a wedding since uh, last since february before and i wasn't gonna see another wedding for quite some time um and so it was just kind of figuring out what what to do and um and this person reached out to me to say hey you know something about print we're trying to get some quotes um what could you do what you know could you just recommend some information and i said well if i were to do if i were to take this project on this is how it would be done and um, what ended up happening is I could, I was able to supply them with getting this project done from point A to point finish um, all in Ontario. Basically, my, mm. my policy now is if I cannot drive there in an afternoon, I will not work with, with that supplier. Um, there are certain exceptions. There is a beautiful uh, paper maker out in Montreal um, and they, they've been hand making paper since the seventies. Um, you're trying to keep it local, but I do try to keep it local as much as possible because, you know, if uh, it's very much a case of, and at the time there was all of the, the conversation about supporting local and shopping small with small businesses and Ontario really got hit hard. Um, I don't know if you know that, but we've been yeah. uh, we've been having a hard time because normally I would I would do art shows I would do um, 
you know, particular like print events and stuff like that, where we network and we kind of drum a business. Um, you know, my, my vintage prints, the Toronto prints, I would take them to art shows over the summer and around Christmas time and stuff like that. And none of that happened. Um, and, um, and so the fact that they were kind of shopping around and I said, well, if you, if you want to put your money where your mouth is basically, um, why, why, why not support local? Um, so everything, uh, even, even the item that we printed at, like at every opportunity we said, like, this is made hand, hand assembled, made in Ontario. Um, you know, it's not shipped out. It's, I can literally give you a list of every single person that worked on this project that, you know, they were able to buy diapers and pay for their gas and pay for their rent. Um, it's a big deal and it is a big deal and it, it, it kind of expanded. And so what started off as, um, you know, let's, let's see how much we can do. And then I would get phone calls from my contact at Queens being like, okay, what else? Like how much more can we do with this project? Um, so we wow. ended up researching through the university archives and found um, artwork from a hundred years ago from the previous pandemic. Um, so the design of the book is actually based on um, university uh, documents. So uh, courseware and stuff like that from a hundred years ago when the wow. students were, were dealing with the Spanish flu. Um, and that was a really big part of, um, of the design and the inspiration for the design of like, there is a resilience that echoes, you know, a century later that, you know, we, we have yep. to just look back a little bit and, you know, people survived that and people thrived and um, grew, uh, grew out of that pandemic. And, and we will too, um, because what the project was, it was a gift to the graduating class, um, the class that wouldn't get uh, a convocation. They wouldn't get their big, like nice party. Um, you know, people that has, have spent four years or more on their education that, you know, obviously they get the degree and they get this, the, the result of it but it's nice to be record like to have that finish recognized yeah, in a way, sure. right and so this was a gift to them um and so it, it, we definitely utilized as much as possible like um of you know small businesses all the resources that we had um you know the historical aspect of it so it just came together so beautifully um that it gave me um a chance to not shut down my business, but grow it instead. Um, which so, is always great. Which is always nice. Bursting, shutting the, yeah, very nice. Um, paying, you know, getting groceries is nice sometimes. Um, but uh, out of that, and it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing. So part of the project was there's a, a donation component um, mm -hmm. as well. So there was an amount donated to uh, a charity selected by students and and that was always something that um like i'd been really passionate about and and the university was passionate about um acknowledgement of um, indigenous rights so like i think one of the first things oh, when, we did, when we did the design um like they were trying to find um as many businesses as as they could support that were also um either indigenous or um, people of color or any sort of um, mental health outreach. Like we, we try to kind of cover as many as right. like those things as possible because it's like, why not support that if the opportunity is there? And so I ended up finding all of the printers that I could that, and, and I'll tell you right away, like a majority of the printers that I work with are from all sorts of communities, right? Um, as opposed to just, 
hitting print and sending it off overseas and then having it stuck on a boat in a canal for several months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was very much like a lot of legwork on my part is just trying to like make it as as positive as possible. We ended up donating over fourteen thousand dollars to Food Banks Canada, uh, which wow. I think was a, a big thing, especially with COVID. Um, and uh, I ended up actually like outside of of that donating more to to Food Banks Kingston because um, having lived in Kingston like that had had such a big impact on me at the time. Um, that I wanted to give back on my own to that community. Um, and mm-hmm. that seemed like a good way to do it. Um, and so then it's, it just kind of builds and builds. And so somebody else finds out about this donation or somebody finds out about the project and or, or something else. And that's kind of how it grows, um, how the business grows. How- so you've been doing a lot of like organic growth by networking with the community, by doing, you know, the hard work of like researching your industry and finding those people who are literally like, who were the Alyssa's of their generation. (laughs) There there might be maybe one person in, in Ontario that knows how to do a particular thing. And so it was my job to try to find them. Um, Something that I didn't get a chance to do that I tried to do the research, but um, there was quite a bit of, um, there was a time crunch and it just was not feasible at the time, but I'm hoping to, to incorporate into further projects is actually working with indigenous communities because we have um, like a family cottage um, up near Sudbury. And so we drive past all of these communities and I called them, I actually called a couple and I said, well, you know, how can, like, I want to give you guys work and I want to work with you because um, why not support yeah. local local um, in, incentive? Um, and so that's something that I that I actually did hear back from a community near where we are, um, up up uh, up near Sudbury. And so that's a that's a group that I really want to work with, and they're artists and printers and uh, and and craftspeople. Um, just just because I think like that's a significant thing that you know if we can do it why not um and then um out of this project as well and i think it was part of this project was i i I had to get a part uh for one of my presses because um Mm. you know when machines are 100 years old if something breaks yeah you have to hope that that piece (laughs) still exists somewhere (laughs) and there was uh there was a supplier in the city um it was called it's called don black uh line casting and it was a two-generation, right. a multi-generation uh, business that all they did was do parts. Um, they started off actually casting type. Um, so when you have your, oh. your your piece of text, you would have your like individual letters that you assemble. Yeah. And, uh, and then they got into line casting, which is where you would cast a whole line of text. There's a really cool equipment to do that. And it kind of speeds nice. things along. And then they got into parts and, and dealing with presses and reselling because as these companies were switching to um from from analog to digital they were you know throwing these presses away and so they were able to pick them up and store them and fix them up and resell them um and so uh the uh the younger of the um of the people of the people running the place uh craig had passed away two years ago and um his dad was still running the business and once covid hit um they couldn't they couldn't operate anymore, unfortunately. Anymore. So they were very much reliant on, um, like the the letterpress business in the states is so much 
bigger it's more robust and so a lot of the people buying stuff would be people coming up across the border from the states that wasn't a thing that wasn't happening anymore and so when i came in i needed a part and i came in and i asked for 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 that part and i bought it and and then as we're chatting he's like well do you want the rest of them i'm like what do you mean wow do i want the rest of them like what, what does that even mean he's like okay you see that whole corner of the warehouse that's going to go to scrap if somebody doesn't buy it. And me being me, I couldn't let you that happen. No. <laughs> and so it kind of came together that, um, you know, doing this project for Queens, um, this opportunity came up to, to rescue. And originally I just agreed to parts. And then I walked away with 30 printing presses and... Did you say warehouse. 30? Yes. They're little babies. They're about this. Well, I'm looking at one right now. So it's about the size of like a ream of paper, like a, a box of paper. And what can you do with what can you do with it? So the for these ones, they're they're called tabletop presses, and normally like yeah. hobbyists would 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 use that. I've seen a lot of people kind of start on them. Um, I've had my three year old print on one, and then she gets really mad that she's only allowed to do a couple of passes and not run like what mom does and run a thousand copies. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, there, there is quite a hobbyist market and um, a lot of people getting into letterpress. They, they don't have the space. They're maybe running it out of their basement or their garage or their shed or something. Um, Yeah. A lot of people running it out of their dining rooms. Like I I, I know several people that have a a printing press in their dining room and you have it in your, and you have like, I I won't even Call it a garage. It's a workshop. It is at a this workshop. Point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a two-story. It looks like a garage. Kind of looks like a mini, like a boathouse. If you have like a a lakeside property, it looks like you, if you had like a boathouse, not as deep for a boat, but it's it's like a workshop. It's been converted into a workshop. So um, you now have a lot of presses. How how are you housing them, and um, what are you? How are you going to make this work? So. Um, I am, again, extremely lucky that um, my partner is in the construction business and knows a lot of people. Um, and uh, we were borrowing warehouse space because when, when, when that whole warehouse of parts things happened, it was, yeah. you have to move it within the week. And I, I, I stopped counting at about 20 tons of stuff. Um, that we literally, as we we're driving away, I didn't ex- get an explicit no <laughs> that this was a bad idea. Um, I got a okay, let's call around and see who's got the warehouse space. Um, because we both realized that if this stuff disappeared, um, that's it. There are literally two people in the city that are still um, trained in fixing this equipment, and there's there are a lot of people still running it. And so, what my shift has been has been lately. I'm still printing, and I'm still taking on um, you know the the really creative, really cool orders um, because like we just we ha- we're the only ones with the equipment to do it and the yeah. resources. Um, but what we're starting to shift to is um, fixing this equipment. Um, because some of it is literally just in a thousand little parts. Like I know I have 30 presses worth of, um, of stuff, but maybe, wow. you know, 15 of them are complete. And then I know the rest are, are in a box in parts right now. Um, and so we're learning how to fix it. We're, uh, you know, 
stripping it down to the bare metal and repainting it and uh, recasting the parts that were missing. Um, you know, I'm working with a few great letterpress people in the States that um, have kind of made it their life uh, to to source parts and to, to recreate them. Um, and we're learning how to fix the more automated machines because, again, there's not... Mm-hmm. Like, once the people are gone that are currently able to do it, there is no replacement. Um, and yeah. and both of them are very well in their years. Um, so, that's that's kind of become what, a thing. And, uh, and as word spread, so basically I ended up buying out Don Black's. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they're incredibly lovely humans and uh, have passed my name on to... To others now because what would happen is once somebody would get a, a machine they would call don and say hey do you want it or we're going to scrap it i yeah. i'm getting those phone calls now so that's how i ended up with an extra three presses um that was last week you gotta get a was bigger shed <laughs> so i i am getting a bigger shed um I, in retrospect, I probably, like if I hadn't agreed to any of this, like I probably wouldn't be moving and I wouldn't be agreeing to uh, a 1500 square foot space um, that, uh, that I have to expand into and, and, you know, expanding into a a new location during a pandemic with hundred year old press equipment. Like none of that seems like a good idea on paper. And yet that's the plan is to basically become the next Don Blacks, um, in a way, um, to rescue this equipment, to fix it, find it homes, um, keep some of it. To but when you're passionate about something, um, you That's you kind of have to lead with that, and you yeah. and it, when you're savvy, because you know you may play yourself down, but you're really smart, you're really savvy. I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, that means you. you're gonna find a creative ways to make the things that need to work work. You yeah. know, whether it's business wise, whether it's some of this repair stuff, all of this stuff comes to like. This the the people that listen to this podcast, you know, our, our audience are young entrepreneurs. I want them to hear this story as something to kind of uh, hold close to their hearts because when you are passionate about something, it can help with the drive. And a big thing entrepreneurs need, you got to have lots of drive. You have to see it before anybody else. And you got to be willing to put in the work and the sacrifice. And that's kind of what I'm hearing with, with you, Alyssa, is like you're willing to put in the work and the sacrifice because it's something that you're deeply passionate about. And sometimes it could be where it's a bust, you know, like that happens too. Yeah. But other times, if you are able to... Um, be creative and be a problem solver you can find ways to make things that seem old be new and be used in different ways and be modernized and to be relevant even in like 2021 (laughs) that's the plan and i mean i we're gonna have to lean heavily on digital like for, for an analog business we're gonna have to lean heavily on social media and having a proper online catalog like part of the thing is you know there's all these parts and and, and bits and pieces and presses but half of them people don't even know they exist um so our, our plan once we get into the space um 
and and start pulling boxes out and cataloging every single cog and gear is to create this online catalog that um, that is available globally um, so that people have access to it that they can see what what is available what's there the condition of it and um, you know hopefully hopefully that goes somewhere and then with these 30 presses I, I keep saying it and I one day I'll believe it that's the that's the number that I agreed to <laughs> um, but um, the plan for that is uh, is to kit them out and that was actually a business that used to exist in the 70s you could get a little printing press with everything that you needed so you would get your stack of paper you get your uh, set of type and the inks and all of the little bits and pieces and parts that um, you know it used to be a, a, a gift for the entrepreneurial boy um, that's how it was advertised yep. and I actually found a letterpress printer that had the original packaging for these things and, and the catalog of all of the the, co- the components that you would get um, I might just be doing a little something a little bit blasphemous with these and and once we repaint them painting them in really garish colors and exciting things and naming them after comic book characters. However, that's very this funny. is, you know, still trying to revive it and, and still trying to keep it alive and relevant and, and, and fun. And if, if somebody else can, um, can benefit from it and grow their own business out of, um, out of this rescue that would otherwise just not exist anymore, then that's, I'm all the happier. Alyssa, I'm so thankful that you are here today. Um, Any Key Press is all over the internet. I think it's at Any Key Press. Is that right? Where can people find you guys? um, At Any Key Press on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, anykeypress.ca online. Um, Soon to have a podcast on print history because I could keep talking about this for years for hours um so i figured why not talk about it for hours um so yeah. yeah any key press um anywhere you your your little social media heart desires awesome this has been the more life podcast guys <laughs> tiktok that'd be cool there is i don't know before we before we cut okay this is a bonus okay. um uh uh on tiktok there is this older gentleman i think his name is gus and he's—I forget where he's from—but he has. Um, it's this older guy, and he has the old presses, and he talks about all the stuff, all the different things that it does, and it's really cool. It's the Sacramento History Museum, and he is amazing. Um, I have—I um, have been in contact with them as well as the International History Museum in uh, California. They're all the most wonderful human beings. And um, yes, their TikTok is phenomenal. I love their TikToks and I love Gus. He's such a sweet old man. Like I just, whenever I hear him talk about, and he also like plays subtle, like cultural relevant things. Like also like he'll print like, you know what I mean? Like uh, just funny things that are happening, memes that are happening on TikTok at the same time. Like the whole sheesh, all of that stuff. He, he'll print it and like show it and like do the signs and do, he's hilarious. He's so good at what he does. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bonus for anybody who, <laughs> still listening to the podcast if you made it this far please like and subscribe please leave a five-star rating on uh, apple Podcasts. we really appreciate it this has been the more life podcast peace out